Rising Stars of SaaS is brought to you by Odoo is a fully customizable and fully integrated suite of software that lets you build and scale your stack as you build and scale your business. Your first app is free forever, and right now Odoo is offering $1,000 off your first implementation pack at odoo.com slash twist. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash twist. LinkedIn Sales Navigator. With face-to-face meetings now a thing of the past, you'll need to quickly adapt your sales strategy to stay ahead. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is the tool designed to help you master digital selling. Go to linkedin.com slash SaaS to start your 60-day free trial. That's linkedin.com slash S-A-A-S. And Pipe. SaaS companies, this is for you. Pipe helps you unlock your recurring revenue as upfront capital. No debt, no loans, no dilution. Sign up in minutes and start trading on Pipe free for 12 months at pipe.com slash twist. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this weekend startup. Super excited to continue our rising stars of SaaS. That's software as a service, aka cloud computing, aka software in your browser, aka pay a monthly fee for software, not $400 to get a package. And um, we are cooking with oil in this series. We had Steve from Rapid Deploy on uh, as our first guest, and then uh, and he was working on helping uh, 911 operators and first responders to lower the call time, right? Through software, through cloud, SaaS, uh, through a cloud and SaaS solution, Rapid Deploy. Then we had Ben from Transcendon. He is making it easy for users to protect their privacy with online services and allowing those online services to be compliant with GDPR and CCAP and all this privacy regulation that's coming. So we're starting to see how software can take away friction and make the world more delightful uh, through enterprise SaaS solutions. Today will be no different. Song Laurent is the co-founder and CEO of Squire, which is getsquire.com. Yep. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So, uh, Squire allows uh, you, I guess you guys were like the Uber of barber shops in the beginning, but I think you quickly evolved into providing a full POS, point of sale, scheduling, and app uh, development platform for all barber shops, correct? Exactly. Yep. So, explain how many barber shops are using the software right now and what you enable them to do. Yeah, we've got a little over a thousand um, barbershops using using the full system. And what we do is we essentially handle everything that a barbershop needs to run their business from the booking uh, to the online payment to the point of sale payment in the shop. And then all the back end stuff, paying out the barbers, CRM, marketing. It's really a full end to end system uh, focused specifically on the vertical of barbershops. We like to think of ourselves as providing everything that they need to run their business so they don't have to look outside of Squire for anything. How much do you charge them for this? How do you charge them for this? And how did you come to that? Yeah, so these are, these are small business owners. Um, and we felt early on that small business owners were pretty sensitive to uh, their overhead. And, and there's, 
limit on how much you can charge them. Uh, so we, we charge a SaaS fee starting at 100 a month, um, up to going up to 250 a month. And that, that's really the, the upper limit of what, uh, what we charge the shops directly. So they can easily afford to pay that 100 because you're going to get them an incremental customer or two a month and then they break even. Is that about right? Yeah, Is that how they look at the decision? Yeah. Yeah, we don't really lean with lead with we're going to send you new customers, although we, we do send some new customers. We really focus more on we're going to make your life easier and running your shop easier. We're going to streamline all of your operations. Um, we're going to take things that used to take you four or five hours a week. And now it's just literally flipping a button, turning, turning on one feature and it, it handles it all for you. Um, Barbershops are actually collections of a bunch of little businesses, I believe, in most cases, like hair salons, um, where each of the barbers is running their own little 1099 business, correct? So uh, if I own a barbershop and I have four or five people cutting or four or five chairs, they each are basically, I'm either renting those chairs out or revenue sharing, is that correct? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, usually you see the renting, which we call the booth rental model, or it is a revenue share, which is called the commission model in, in the industry. So it's usually one of those or a hybrid of the two. And you're right, the overwhelming majority of barbers are 1099s, even though if they're on the commission model, they're treated more similarly to, to employees in the sense that they have a schedule and you know they have to kind of do what the owner says. And if they're booth rental, then it's really they just do their own thing. They come and go as they please. And what do they, they charge for a booth rental? You know, a barbershop in a in a major city, L.A., Atlanta, New York. Yeah, Bay Area. Uh, it, around two, two, three hundred, two to three hundred a week usually. Okay, so they pay thousand uh, dollars a month, fifty bucks a day, but they get a hundred percent of the revenue that comes in. Then exactly. Yeah. Uh, so if you had five, if you had six chairs in your barbershop and you had them fully rented, barbershops making six thousand on the chairs, they're paying two thousand dollars, two or three thousand dollars to keep the store up and running. They make the other three thousand clear. Yeah, is the basic concept for running it like a co-working space. Uh, we this has got to be extremely complicated then in terms of billing and separating it. So that's what your software does. Is you say, yes. hey, these three chairs are being rented. And then I'm, I'm assuming some people do a hybrid, right? Mm -hmm. Where they rent three chairs and then three chairs are doing on commission. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it gets surprisingly complicated really quickly, uh, more so than most people would think. Um, but yeah, you're right. It, depending on how the shop is set up, um, the owner has to, if it's a booth rental, he's got to be on top, he or she has to be on top of uh, collecting his money, you know, every week. So that in itself, you know, is a task. Um, and then a lot of shops want to have a centralized point of sale system. So now, you know, you, how, how do you divvy that up? You know, how do you make sure that each barber gets uh, paid what they're owed and that the shop gets what they're owed? And then you have to think about routing tips. It can get very, very complicated. And that's what we saw for all of those pain points with software. Do, do you do the, the full POS and then they don't have to have Square or something like that? Or do yeah. you work with the other POS systems? No, we, we, we're very, very selfish and about our customers. We don't, we don't want to work with anyone if we can avoid it. Um, so we, we try to replace everything and do everything. And, and so the POS just is like an iPad with a standard cash drawer or something you attach to it? Yeah, yeah. We, we provide the cash drawer, uh, uh, the, the hardware, the iPad uh, software, um, and then uh, the actual physical card readers as well. Uh, are the 
folks running these businesses tech savvy and sophisticated in general? Uh, or are they laggards like most people would suspect that they're the last people and they're just doing cash based accounting out of a draw? Um, where, where do they stand? And then how do you convince them to make this giant leap to not only add, you know, a digital point of sale, but then to add scheduling and payments and all this stuff? Um, what's it like in terms of running a SaaS business like that? Yeah, it's a pretty big spectrum. Uh, so you have on, on the high end, the, the more high end shops that charge a higher price point are actually fairly tech savvy relative to other small business owners. And usually they're using some kind of software already. Um, often they're actually using two or three systems to run their business. And then the sell there is that, hey, we're, we're streamlining everything, bringing it, bringing it all into one and making it super easy to use. And we're the only software that's specifically tailored for your business and, and your industry. Um, and then on the other side of the spectrum, yeah, you have pen and paper, you know, people who don't, who don't even want to take appointments. They want to do walking only and they want to, you know, be cash only. That side of the spectrum obviously has been the most impacted by COVID. And, and you're seeing that they're being forced to, to really adopt software and, and technology you know, because of the circumstances. And what is that circumstance? They, they need to uh, have appointments and they can't do walk-ins anymore because of social distancing, I would assume? Exactly. They can't do walk-ins. They can't have people waiting in the shop. You know, to your point, uh, you probably hate that when you need to get a haircut. Um, uh, now, a lot of states are requiring that barbershops uh, be appointment-based and encouraging them to use software. And then also uh, cash. You know, there's been a shift to, to being less cash-based and you know, people don't want to be exchanging money and they want contactless payment. These are all things that we've been preaching. And now, um, you know, it's kind of a reckoning within the industry that the shops that were um, really lagging behind are now being forced to catch up if they want to stay in business. Yeah, the pandemic is certainly an accelerant. I'm curious when we get back from this quick break, what are you seeing change? We're taping this in October of 2020, month, arguably seven of this pandemic, right? March, April, May, June, July, August, September, October, maybe month eight. So in, when we get back, I want to know what month eight of the pandemic is looking like versus months four and months one and two when we get back on this week in startups. One of the toughest parts of building a company is choosing which tools and providers to use. You know this. You want to pick the best solution for each department to help your employees succeed because they deserve the best. We all know that. But there are so many functions in a startup and each one has an endless list of potential vendors. There's sales tools, there's email marketing, accounting, HR, payroll, project management, customer support, point of sale, e-commerce, you know, it goes on and on and on. Well, eventually, you will wind up with a Frankenstack of tools that cost a lot and that don't integrate properly. Well, Odoo is here to change that. Odoo is a fully customizable and fully integrated suite of software products that let you build and scale your stack as you build and scale your business. It's simple, it's modular, so you use what you need and all their apps integrate perfectly with each other. How amazing does that sound? Plus, it's all open source, so you can spend that freshly raised capital on talent instead of expensive software. Your first app is free forever. And right now, Odoo is offering, wait for it, a $1,000 credit on your first implementation pack. So go to Odoo, O-D-O-O.com slash twist to check it out. That's O-D-O-O.com slash twist to get the thousand dollars in credit who knows how long that'll last so go now odoo.com slash twist 
Okay, let's get back to this amazing episode. Welcome back to This Week in Startups. I'm your host, Jason Calacanis. You can follow me on the Twitter at Jason. I'm an angel investor here in Silicon Valley. Uh, we do this podcast two or three days a week, and we're really excited to have today's de- guest, Song Laron, on. He is Song Laron on the Twitter, S-O-N-G-E-L-A-R-O-N. And uh, he co-founded Squire in 2015. They've been, they've been at it for about five years. And they are helping barbershops with their scheduling and all their back end, back office, as it were. What, what was the change like for barbershops in the early stages of the pandemic, the first couple of months, versus now where people are reopening and they're allowed to have people into their barbershops, uh, but still people are cautious? Yeah, first few months were frightening for for everyone, particularly uh, our customers. Um, they were pretty abruptly forced to shut down in most states, and you know they're not like a lot of uh, you know white collar workers that can just work from home and have that luxury. Yeah, they need to be in the shop uh, cutting in order to provide for their families. So it was very very difficult and challenging. Uh, March April, um, we saw almost all of our shops shut down completely. Um, during, wow. during that during that time, um, what that, then, what's that like for you? Then do you then give them a pause on charging them for software or a discount or something? How how do you handle that for yourself? Yeah, great great question. So we early on we made some really strategic decisions and we, we held it up with our leadership team and we decided that we were going to waive all subscription fees across the board for old, current and new customers. Um, we decided uh, at the time to to waive it until September. And then we, we actually decided to extend it until 2021. Um, and, wow. Yeah. And, so and no re- revenue for you for the, during the 2020 pandemic year? Well, no su- subscription revenue. So we, we didn't really get into our revenue model, but we actually make revenue from payment processing and, and from some other uh, streams as well. Um, but subscription revenue, we, we, uh, we decided. And that is the most direct uh, you know, source of revenue that's felt by the, the, the shop owners. Got it. Yeah. So if they're, what do they pay? 5% or 10% to pay for fees associated with the credit card? No, they, they pay standard, um, you know, 2.9 plus 30, give or take, uh, you know, that you would, you, you would find with other you know, similar companies. Um, and then we have a, we have a portion of our revenue that is, is the booking fee that the actual client, the person getting the haircut pays. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. So they pay a dollar or two bucks to book the, the Exactly. Slot? When they book and pay. So if you're book if you opt into booking and paying, kind of like that Uber experience where you're just in and out, don't have to worry about cash, then you'll pay a slight premium uh, f- for it. And then if, if you decide to book without paying, in that case, you wouldn't you wouldn't you, you wouldn't pay anything extra. And do you build individual apps for each barbershop, or do you have like a central barbershop app for people to use to aggregate demand? So we have both. We have a what we call a Squire flagship app which has all the barbershops that are on Squire on it. Um, and then we also do custom branded apps. Um, and, and in that case, it's the basic functionality is the same, but we, we customize it to have the look and feel of the shop. So it feels like an extension of their brand and it doesn't, it doesn't say Squire anywhere on there. Uh, of the thousand people using the platform, how many are back to work in October of 2020? Fortunately, um, overwhelming majority are, are open back up and, and not many have shut down for good which was which is really good because that's what we we're concerned about um that some shops just wouldn't be able to sustain themselves but you know barbershops are very very uh, resilient businesses 
and um, they typically do very well in the economic downturns. Nobody thought about a pandemic happening. That's probably the only circumstance that caused them to close the doors. Um, but fortunately, we're seeing them reopening, um, bouncing back. Now the revenue is starting to normalize uh, on a per shop basis. So, you know, it's not quite where it was pre-COVID, but um, their, their clients are still coming in. In aggregate, uh, 60, 70, 80%, 90%. What's, what's the average barbershop doing now compared to what they did last year without COVID? Yeah, I would say on average, probably around 85 to 90%. Um, That's amazing. You know, there's some outliers. California, for example, was shut down much longer. And so they're, they're just, you know, recently reopened. Um, but, you know, some states- Not for like, Nancy Pelosi. She got to go. <laughs> she had a, might have been a setup, but who knows? I wasn't a barbershop, so I'll, I'll stay away that's from it, that That's one. not in your wheelhouse. Yeah. <laughs> when you look at the precautions that are- I mean, the other thing that's nice about barbershops, I suppose, is they are asset light marketplaces. In other words, they don't have- the they're not employees the the barbers who are there so they don't they're not having to pay them if the if their hairs not if hairs are not getting cut and if a lot of hair is getting cut those independent contractors freelancers get to benefit because they get to make more money and they get to pick their hours exactly is that right in general yeah exactly it's very little overhead uh, the the main overhead is the rent mm -hmm. which which you know some some landlords were were forgiving during that time and you know worked with them but that that's the, that's the main thing and you know once the doors open they can get right back to business do these uh you probably have seen we have prop 22 which uh, hopefully people vote for and uber and lyft drivers and doordash drivers and all those ride-sharing drivers should get to have flexibility and pick their hours i believe that um left out of that were barbershops uh mm -hmm. and hair salons correct yeah not, I, I, I don't believe that they're part of that they're not part of that. So how do you look at that? You know, and the issue around should they be should those freelancers or contractors in your mind be forced to be employees? Or should they get to choose to be 1099 or employees? How, how do you how do you think about that? I'm curious. I mean, I, I tend to lean on the side of giving optionality because a lot of barbers really do like the freedom. Um, and, and many of them are, you know, they're artists, you know, as well as, um, you know, service providers. And they, they really do like to be able to come and go as they please. Um, you know, that, that being said, uh, there's also, you know, a, a need for, you know, many of them don't have health insurance and, you know, don't have, you know, access to, you know, financial products and it's hard for them to get loans and et cetera. Um, so I think that, and that's kind of part of where, you know, Squire, see, we see ourselves coming in to play in the, in the long term is eventually, you know, trying to provide some of those services that they typically don't have access, access to. Oh, really? So you're thinking about for your barbers and for haircutters um, to allow them, since you have their information, maybe withhold some of their earnings, their 1099 earnings and use it for healthcare or something? I mean, we're, we're, we're looking at all these options like that. Yeah. So we're looking to fill all the gaps um, that currently aren't being uh, filled uh, for, the, for these customers. And they're, they're very underserved. They're underserved when it comes to banking, financial services, insurance, um, and, and you name it. And ultimately, we're just trying to think of where, where are the areas we can provide the most value, um, really provide the full, full suite of uh, offerings that they need. Yeah. And what's, what's on the top of that list? Of things you could offer to them uh financial services is is, is really interesting just so having something. a bank account yeah bank account uh debit cards you know potentially 
loan products. I mean, this, you know, it's all, uh, this, there's nothing coming out right now, but this, these are things we're, we're looking at. Um, you know, it's, it's, they're, they're, they're a demographic that we think has been very underserved. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, if they're, if you have their information, you got the payments coming in, why not just give them each an account and, and a bank account with one of these pop up services, or a debit card, they could spend it from or you could advance them a week or two uh, of their of their pay if they need it for a fee. Yeah, I mean, because we, um, we touch the entire flow of money uh, from the booking all the way, you know, to paying the shop to paying out the barber. It, it gives us uh, insight and insights. And there's a lot of interesting things that we can do that hopefully provide some value. When they're 1099 employees, they're, they might have one day 10 haircuts, another day two. So on a day, if they were in the barbershop for 10 hours and they only had two haircuts for 30 bucks each, they made 60, they're at $6 an hour. On the day they did 10 at 30 bucks each, they did $300, they made 30 bucks an hour. That's mm-hmm. part of the process of being a freelancer is you only get paid for when you're working, correct? Not when you have downtime. Yeah, that, that's the model in the overwhelming majority of, of barbershops. And so this seems fair or unfair to you that a per individual gets to pick what they, how they work uh, in this regard. Um, I'm curious how you look at I it. I think it's... it's so you're, so you're saying as opposed to well i mean you could take the two in this scenario you could take those two days put them together and they did 12 they did 20 hours of work and 12 haircuts for 360 and you could just divide it and give them 16 dollars an hour 15 dollars an hour and make them instead of entrepreneurial and 1099 and getting to take their expenses out um and you know have that downtime but they could read a book or do some self-improvement listen to an audiobook whatever it is netflix binge watch a show it seems to me there's this very like interesting moment in time we're living in where what used to be considered like little entrepreneurial businesses that people could grow up on they're not we're having unions and other folks say hey you, you're not allowed to work that way so i'm curious um how you think about that and we'll, we'll answer that question when we get back from this quick break Right now, everything is changing so rapidly, including the sales industry. With face-to-face meetings now a thing of the past, you'll need to quickly adapt your sales strategy if you want to stay ahead. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is the tool that is designed to help you master digital selling. You all know that. With real-time updates, alerts, and thoughtful insights, you'll find new ways to connect with your buyers at a distance. You can tap into that amazing 700 million member network and use LinkedIn Sales Navigator to get those 20 monthly email messages, lead recommendations, and unlimited searches. So you get right to the front of people's inboxes, actionable insights, and access to free courses on LinkedIn Learning. You get everything. And you can target the right prospects and decision makers, which can unlock 18% more pipeline from properly sourced opportunities you get a seven percent lift in win rate and 33 percent larger deal sizes as the world adapts to a new working habit sellers must also shift tactics to stay ahead and linkedin sales navigator is that secret weapon that's going to help your sales team do just that our sales guy matt here at this week in startups loves linkedin sales navigator and he uses it just to you know precisely target the right people and find the contacts he needs 
so we can keep this week in startups sold out and that's how we got from one episode a week to two to three and then sometimes we throw in that emergency podcast for you we got a special offer here a 60-day free trial of sales navigator in order to unlock that all you have to do is go to linkedin.com slash sas s-a-a-s that's right go to linkedin.com slash s-a-a-s to start your free 60-day trial of linkedin sales navigator Get your whole sales team in there and start seeing the register ring. Thanks again, LinkedIn Sales Navigator, for joining the This Week in Startups family. Hey, we're back on This Week in Startups talking with Song Laurent uh, from Squire. You can go check out GetSquire.com and you can download the Squire app, I suppose, and book right now and find a barber. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I'm, I, we were sort of talking about this sort of mini entrepreneurial nature of it, uh, of, you know, hair cutters uh barbers hairstylists etc they all have their own little businesses they do they are they are an entrepreneurial bunch where they move from one salon to another they might change and say i got a better deal here or they might then start their own barbershop you do see that path right in these um, uh employees or these freelancers who then become owners of businesses all, all the time that that's that's kind of the natural trajectory um, for a successful career um, in this in this industry is that you know, eventually many of them they want to open a shop I and mean, that's the main way that they can you know build more wealth and and you know make more money outside of just the number of haircuts they're providing each day. So I, absolutely, we see that. And so, if they were not 1099 employees, they wouldn't be as portable or flexible. They wouldn't be able to leave and go to work for another one to start their own. They would just be hourly workers who had to work specific shifts, and that would be less that would give them less mobility it would give them probably less mobility and also it would i think that's a type of model that could work uh for some barbershops that that have the resources um but you know like we said before a barbershop is a pretty easy business to start uh, yeah. to, to you know and the overhead and the amount of assets required is really low and that's part of the one of the appealing reasons of why there's so many shops and why it's, it's, it's interesting for for these these uh, business owners if if we required all the barbers to be employees, it'd be a really heavy lift, I think, to starting a barbershop um, and getting it off the ground. Um, so, you know, we see that model more like in the franchises um, that have, you know, 30, 40, 50. Oh, the you know, super cuts of the yeah, world. Yeah, they pay people a, an hourly wage. Yeah, they pay people hourly. But for the one uh, So you have to be a pop. shift worker. You got to work eight hour shifts when they tell you. Yeah. Typically. And you got to do X number of hours per week and you're not allowed to work at another salon. Yeah, yeah. They basically dictate your entire work. Yeah, typically, yeah. See, I think so, this is the important yeah. discussion that people don't understand, is that once you add all these regulations, it becomes impossible for somebody, if they had to hire everybody full-time and take on that risk, to, to pop up a barbershop, right? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it would, it, it would be. Um, I mean, we can think of, I'm sure there's, there's room to think of how, how it could be improved and how we could provide some more safeguards for, for barbers outside of the current situation. But I definitely think it would be heavy-handed to, re- to require all barbers to be employees. We would see a lot of shops shutting down, most likely. Yeah. This is the thing I think there's, there's good intention, I think, when people think they're trying to protect workers. But I don't think that this class of worker wants to be forced to be an hourly worker. They... the what do you see amongst that group in terms of do they want to be hourly workers or do they just want to be the freelancers the way they are if you were to ask 10 of them how many would say i want the current system how many would say they want 
to just make the same amount of money, but be hourly. It, to be fair, I haven't polled this, uh, so yeah. I don't know for sure. But an- anecdotally, I would yeah. guess that they like the current system. They want to be able to uh, charge, you know, as much as possible, make as much as possible for the services they're providing, and have the kind of flexibility. Um, and and they also like to build their own book of business. Uh, many barbers, um, so they you know they like to think that you know these are their customers that they've been building. So when they do go to another shop. Um, they can bring those, you know, customers. How do you them. do that with the software? I'm curious. How do you manage that with people booking? Just the do they split the ownership of that lead? Does the individual barber get a copy of the contact information and the store, or does the individual person have to like build it up and build up their own phone book on their iPhone? Well, varies case by case, and it depends on who how the shop is set up. So if they're if they're a booth rental and each barber is really just an independent business owner doing doing their own thing, generally they'll have access to to the customer data and they can take it with them. When they're commission when it's a commission shop and the relationship is with the owner of the shop and squire, then mm-hmm. in that case we, we kind of default to the owner and and like how they want to run it. Um, a lot of times the owners invest a lot of money in marketing and branding into, you know, acquiring these customers. So it's not really fair to them, uh, to then have the barbers, you know, take all take that information. Take the book of business yeah. and leave with them and start a competitor. Yeah. Yeah. Across the street, you know, which we've seen <laughs> a lot of times actually. Oh, really? Yeah. There's a little compat- competition yeah. going there. Yeah. Um, talk to me about the culture of barbershops and what they represent sort of in society and then how you think about that in terms of building the software uh, for these barbershops, obviously building a dedicated app is part of that, right? People Mm -hmm. want to have the look and feel. Talk to me a little bit about that culture and what they represent in terms of community building. And then what do these barbershops make in terms of what's their TAM for all the barbershops or individual barbershops? What can they expect to make? Yeah. Um, so in terms of the, the culture, it's, 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 it's a subculture really. And the people in this industry are some of the most passionate, um, people I've ever worked with. Um, they don't look at being a barber as like a job or even a profession. Most of them, they look at it as their life calling. And, and, you know, they'll tell you, you know, being a barber saved my life. You know, I was doing this before I was doing that before. And this is the one thing that really has given them uh, meaning. So it's really inspiring to, to, to be working with them. Um, and they're also very proud, very proud of what they do. Um, that's like the, the fact that we're so specialized and so focused on this vertical really gives us an advantage, um, uh, relative to, to competitors who are trying to go horizontally after a lot of different verticals. They know that Squire is, is frankly, it's the only company that is dedicated exclusively to them and to solving their needs, um, and to providing value. Um, so that, that's something that we're, we, you know, we're really proud of as well. What does a barbershop make? The average barbershop in your system, you know, you've got a thousand of them, so you probably have some aggregate data. What does an average barbershop generate in terms of revenue? If that's six chairs, 12 chairs, I guess the average is six chairs. Average is about five or five or six chairs. Um, on average, they, they make about 150, 160,000 a year uh, card processed and mm. then you know, layer cash on top of that. Uh, um, so, you so you know. double it. Uh, I would say not quite double because you're seeing more card uses actually. About oh, 50% maybe then? Yeah, about yeah. 50%. Yeah. Um, it's a quarter they, million a year for a barbershop. You yeah. Some a, expense. On 50% average. 50% margin, 35% margin they run at. 
Uh, about fifty percent. It depends on the commission breakdown with, with yeah. the barbers, um, but it's usually you know somewhere somewhere around fifty percent. Yeah. See, the problem I have right now is uh, having moved to the Bay Area from New York. I used to go to Astor Place. Boom, quick. I got my person. Get my hair cut. The you, problem is, I moved you know, to San Francisco. You know the history of Astro Place bar, Barbershop, right? What's that? Do, do, did you know? Do you know like kind of the story about Astro Place and like who owns it? And the only thing I knew about Astro Place was when I was a kid in the '80s, we would go to the city, and it was twelve bucks, and yeah. we'd give the you know the lady who did it for us, you know, like a twenty, and we were all stars. We got to the front of the list, and we would just all go get our hair cut. You know, like every two months or whatever, yeah. take the R train there. But I don't know the backstory on Astro Place. I mean, it's it's a, it's a famous barbershop in New York. Anybody yeah. you know in downtown area has has heard of it. Uh, great shop, old school, in and out. Um, you know, like yeah, no, you said, no must, no fuss, yeah, no yeah. must, no fuss. But uh, just put it this way: it's not the kind of shop where you'd ever want to think about you know not paying or walking out or doing anything like that. The guys who ran that shop. Oh, it was legit. Uh, Some Italian look, guys, maybe? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I have a feeling I know what you're yeah, talking about. Yeah. Uh, so well, that. Yeah. you probably do want to pay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. What was great about Astro Place, I have to say, back in the day, was it was such a mecca of many different cultures because they cut white guys' hair, they cut mm -hmm. black guys' hair. It, it was like a, it was a bit of a crossover, right? Mm -hmm. So... There were in the 90s when I would go, when I was in school at Fordham, we go down there. You know, you would have working class people, you'd have hip hop people, you'd have NYU students, you have gay people, straight people. It was really like a cross section of New York. You'd have bankers going, mm -hmm. you know, all the way down to students, to, to grandpas. Everybody would just go in there and get a quick cut. Boom, you're done, right? Or 12 bucks, 15 bucks. But the average cut now is 30. What's the average cut now in the United States for men's haircut, buzz cut? Yeah, on our system, it's, it's about 40, but average across the you know, US, probably about 30, 25, 30, including tip. It's getting crazy uh, yeah. expensive. And then the problem I have with the, everything is it's, the, the, the hipsters took over and they're <laughs> making bar barbershops, uh, hipster barbershops, like public works and all these, you know, places. It, it's they're kind of making them cookie cutter hipster I, I don't like this hipster trend yeah i mean nobody likes nobody likes nobody self-identifies or, or likes hipsters for some reason it's like a term they're like we all Everybody know they hates exist, hipsters hipsters nobody, are annoying yeah, but nobody claims to be one um but i know the type of shops you're talking about you know i personally I, we, those shops are great for our business you know they charge high price points um that's the they, problem they're, they they <laughs> want to charge 60 dollars for a quick buzz cut and i'm like but they, we know why, because they're focused on providing an experience, you know. That's that, not the that, experience I'm looking for. They're, they're also I want the Astor so, Place so, experience, so in and out. I, I love Astor Place too, you know, and it, it, we, we try to work with all types of shops. But I think there is room, I think there is room in the market for what they're offering, which is clear because there's been so many of them that, you know, yeah. there's not a lot of places guys can go to kind of be pampered in a masculine way and still feel, you know, masculine about it. And that that's what they're providing, you know, when they're whiskey. Because uh, they the give drink, you the neck massage and everything. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, you know, yeah. So you get to like still be like a tough guy, but you got your exactly. neck massaged. And it's still like, <laughs> exactly. I got you. I got you. Yeah, All right. Yeah. When we get back from this, I want to understand why, uh, how people are doing this all safely in COVID and what the best practice is and when we should all think about the risk of going back because that mm -hmm. is something I've been thinking about. I got one cut during COVID famously uh, by my celebrity 
hairstylist for men groomer <laughs> down in when i was in malibu for a couple of weeks at the beach house but uh now i got to get back into my regular and i want to know what the precautions are when we get back on the sweetie startups SaaS companies with reoccurring revenue used to have basically two ways to get cash and to grow. One is you sell equity. That works. Sure. Why not? Or you can get debt. Okay. That's a little scary. It's a loan. Well, now there's a brand new third way to grow without debt or dilution. And that's pipe. P-I-P-E.com. It's a two-sided marketplace, like a marketplace like Airbnb or eBay. You know what a marketplace is. And what they do there is they connect SaaS companies who have monthly or quarterly reoccurring revenue with institutional investors who will bid in order to purchase that revenue on an annual upfront basis. So you're charging monthly, quarterly, and these investors come and they say, we'll give you that money now so you can deploy it and we'll bid. We'll give you 93 cents, 94 cents. It's a pretty interesting, clever idea, right? They get a little bit of the spread and you get that cash up front to deploy to build your company. Pretty, pretty slick, right? Well, Pipe is the smarter way to grow your business. It's super founder friendly and it's a great way for you to grow without debt, loans, or dilution. Pipe is also frictionless and completely transparent. It only takes a couple of minutes to sign up and you'll have the cash in your bank within 24 hours. Pipe is so confident you'll love trading your SaaS subscription that if you sign up by the end of November, they'll eliminate all your trading fees for one full year. This could save you tens of thousands of dollars depending on the size of your business and the volume you trade. So happy piping. Sign up today at pipe.com slash twist. P-I-P-E.com slash twist. Pipe.com slash twist. Welcome back. Song Laurent is here from Squire. All right, what is the best practice now? I know there's been a couple of outbreaks at hair salons, but the customers didn't get it. Like a couple of people working in the hair salon got it. That was the only, I heard that like one anecdotal story a couple of months ago. Mm-hmm. But everybody seems to be going back and getting haircuts. What's the what's the best practice now, and what's the safety track record like? Yeah, so it, as the states reopen, pretty much every state uh, imposed guidelines for salons and barbershops to reopen safely. And you know, there's some variance, but across the board, um, masks should be required uh, from the barber as well as the client. Um, there should be no walk-ins. There should be appointments only. So people are showing up at the time of their appointment and they're waiting uh, outside of the shop. So there's no more waiting inside the shop. Um, there should be uh, disinfecting of the barber chair, all of the supplies, uh, all of the tools. Um, a lot of states are requiring uh, disposable capes. So you're not, you're not using a, an old cape that somebody wore just before you. That's smart. Yeah. yeah. I like, and- the, I like the disposable cape. Um, just for cleanliness in general. Yeah, absolutely. Paper, just make it out of paper. Toss it afterwards. Yeah, to- just, just toss it. Are, so, they, but, are people reconfiguring these and putting plastic between the stations or is that like overkill? I've seen that. I've seen yeah. that. Um, not, it's not like across the board, but I've, I've seen some shops experimenting with that, which the plastic... Buffer is always because like the germs can go over the plastic. Yeah, (laughs) that one doesn't make sense to me. Like, uh, if you're in a confined space, it really is the density of the space and then the mask wearing. So people just need to be vigilant about on both sides wearing masks and then the face shield 
yeah is like an extra protection for dentists and people who have to do this 10 times a day yeah and, and that so seems to work right that that's that that works i mean first of all barbers are probably one of the only types of professionals who are actually trained on this prior to covid they they, oh, really? they to get their license they have to study uh you know dis how to disinfect materials how to not you know spread disease like that that's all part of their their education anyway now you add this this covid situation and like they're they're one of the best prepared types of professionals in, in my opinion to to handle this versus like you know a waiter who just could be anybody um yeah. so barbers have to be licensed according to you know state law um and and in terms of like what what we're seeing like like you said there have been uh, uh r reports of um spread you know in some i think it was a salon actually but interestingly in that salon they all wore masks and no no clients were infected so i mean mm. it, it it goes to show and there were like hundreds of cuts performed so it goes to show you like the power of, of, of actually wearing if everybody wears a mask and if the procedures are, are followed that's a very interesting point if people just more, if we just studied barbershops, which have, you know, five chairs and 10 customers for each chair, you got 50 people coming in and out a day with five barbers and, you know, uh, probably a reception area. So you're talking about, you know, six stationary people and 50 people coming in and out. You could just use that as your testing and tracing. Uh, and then mm -hmm. eventually people could test when they get to the barbershop. I, I don't know if you've seen that starting yet, but I predict that's going to become the big win is just come to the barbershop and get tested and we'll throw great. in the yeah. $15 test. Yeah. Say, government should really be working with, with barbershops um, because they're really, uh, you know, there's hubs of the community um, and people are, are going to continue getting haircuts, you know, as long as, as, as long as they can. And had barbershops been a vector of spread, like they'd be shut down immediately. Like we would have heard about yeah. it. And so we know that that's not happening. It's definitely not a major spreader because like you said, the, the, you're going to have 100% compliance in there because if you were using razors and doing shaves and you're using clippers, you already know to disinfect that stuff. These people mm -hmm. are hyper vigilant. They keep every piece of equipment cleaned and wiped down. They do it in front of you as part of the show, mm -hmm. right? It's part of the show. It's part of the show. And, and a lot of that practice really became really prevalent uh, during the HIV epidemic. You know, people didn't know right. if you could get a, you know, HIV from a haircut. So they really had to hone in on, on, on how to disinfect and, and how to, you know, make sure people are safe. And now in, in this environment, you know, I think that they're, they're some of the best trained people uh, and they're the most ready um, to, to handle it. Yeah, that is amazing. Thinking back on it, there was that moment in time where people during mm -hmm. HIV were like, oh my God, Magic Johnson can't play basketball because he's going to sweat on somebody. They're going to transfer HIV. Or what if somebody gets a nick while they're mm -hmm. getting at the barbershop? Everybody mm -hmm. in the barbershop is going to get AIDS. And I was like, mm -hmm. that's not how it works. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we know a little bit more than that. Yeah. But yeah, so how did you wind up getting into all of this? I know you were... Uh, I think you were a lawyer before this doing M&A, right? Yeah, I was an M&A lawyer at a big firm in New York. And, um, Where? Scadden Arps? Sherman uh, Sterling? Uh, Scadden, Scadden. Good, good guess. You were at Scadden? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Where did you go? Columbia? NYU? For law? I went, I went to Yale. I was yeah, about I to, to say, I was, I was triangulating. You did not get into Scadden Arps unless you were Ivy League. Uh, yeah, Where did yeah, you go I undergrad? Uh, UCLA. Yeah. Okay, so UCLA, then you went to Yale Law. Yeah, yeah. You were at Scadden up on, uh, what Time is that, Square. Lex and 55th? No, it's, it's the County Nashville. Well, they used to be in the County Nashville. I don't know if they're still there. Oh, the County Times Square. Times Square. Yeah. Oh, the, I know. Oh, that's right. 
That's yeah. Scadden. I was thinking Sherman Sterling's over on Lex and 50. Yeah. yeah Scadden yeah. Is, was in the. Oh, yeah. I remember that because. Anyway, I had a friend <laughs> and who worked at uh, uh, Scadden. And he'd be like, right, Scad, you were at Scadden. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They would be like, yeah, I, the Vogue elevator. <laughs> it was like all these stories about like the Vogue elevator bank was, yeah. and the Scadden lawyers, Vogue elevator yeah. bank, there was some collisions occurring, maybe some of them <laughs> intentional back in the day. I'm sure more intentional on the Scadden side. On the Scadden <laughs> side, I think it was more intentional to try to meet yeah, the, the folks working at Vogue. Yeah, um, yeah. So you, you quit that to go start a company? That was a big jump. That. Uh, yeah. How yeah. did that go down? So I, I always wanted to do something entrepreneurial. Didn't know what. Um, you know, I had started in between. I took one year off in between undergrad and law school. Or actually, you know, started a company, not a tech company, because I didn't know about tech at that point. It was like a tutoring company. Um, so it was always kind of in my mind that I wanted to do something. Um, and then uh, my co-founder and I, we would just brainstorm ideas, and we came across the idea of like, wow, the barbershop experience can really be improved. And the more research we did, the more we saw that this was a real, a real opportunity. And so, you know, decided to just jump into it head first. Is there a yeah, and gave up the 150 from Scadden. Oh, it was more than that. Yeah, I was just, I was just thinking starting. I was, I was thinking, isn't starting like 150, 175? Or am I outdated now? I think now? it was like 160 when I was there. So by now, it's probably way more. I don't, I don't know what it is now. But there's too many yeah. lawyers now, right? Is that That's hard. I mean, you have to be elite to get into Scadden, but yeah. those are on a, they're not throwing those 175 out-of-school gigs to everybody anymore. Yeah, no, it's not it's, that it's, many it's of competitive. them. Yeah, it's very, it's very, competitive. very competitive. Yeah. Uh, what is the outcome here in terms of scaling? Because there's a limited number of barbershops. So, are you thinking about salons or massage places or other things, or is there enough barbershops for you to keep going here? How many barbershops are there in the United States? Yeah, this this surprisingly a lot more barbershops than most people would think. And there's actually not a lot of great data on the number of barbershops. So you kind of have to do some work to get to a number. Um, you know, we, our research puts the number at anywhere uh, between 250 and 400,000 in the US. Um, oh, wow. it, if, if you uh, include like unisex uh, barbershops or salons, which, which we do include in our market size, but just pure barbershops, we think there's at least 250,000. Oh, so um, you're not so even 1%. Yeah, we're barely scratching the surface. Um, so, you know, we know that we can build a really big, uh, successful company just on barbershops. Uh, you know, that being said, if, you know, five years from now, we see that, you know, we're, we're, we're tapping out on that. Um, there's other verticals we could, we could explore because the software could, could work for a lot of other uh, verticals. But I think that there's a real power in being focused and, and being targeted. So we've got a lot of room to grow in this space. Uh, awesome. Well, listen, continued success. What about, what, uh, what about my need? Let's talk about uh, my need, <laughs> which is need? I need to be able to book an hour and just pop in and get it done for 20 minutes because they always make me wait that I'm late. Then they put three people in front of me. I can't take it. Is, <laughs> is that available where I could just VIP and take an hour slot and just pop in anytime I want? So this, the system could work for that. Like, yeah. like you can totally do that on Squire. The problem is um these guys come up with um solutions for like 
you know, the 99% of the customers, like people yeah. like you are like that is, is, is we very need a small. big fish VIP experience. <laughs> we need a bottle service experience. I want to be able to go and have a bottle, pop a bottle and have a, an hour window. I think we could, I think I could get that done for you. I, I think did. that yeah. they should really think about the <laughs> VIP kind of situation where if you're willing to pay. They'll do it. You know, yeah. They'll do it. No, I literally had my assistant do that because I was getting admonished by the barbershop receptionist. Yeah. And she's like, listen, you know, you're late every time. And I was like, listen, I give a hundred percent tip. <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> you're charging me $45. I give you a hundred every time. <gasps> Just book two appointments and give me the whole window. So, well, my boss doesn't let me do that. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. We'll talk offline. I, I think yeah. I can make some What about the at-home kind of market? Has that ever, you know, or is it just people want to go and have the experience and that just adds too much cost to it? Yeah, we looked at that early on and mm-hmm. there were some companies trying to do it and I don't think it panned out so well. It's just not, it's, it's, it's the subset of customers who are willing to pay the premium that it takes to make that a feasible business model. It's just, you can't build a whole business around it. You and have to charge three times, right? Yeah, you have to charge three times. You have to pay for you know travel costs and the time that it takes to get from point A to point B. And then the experience is just kind of not great. You got hair all over and yeah. you know, people prefer to just go into the shop. Yeah. I wish I could go into the shop if they just didn't ding me for being late all the time. <laughs> I need a little more flexibility on that. <laughs> Listen, continued success with it. And I'm um, sorry we couldn't do this in person, but pandemic. Hey. So everything's virtual. Yep, uh, yep. Where are you guys based? Uh, we're, we're New York, but we're distributors. We've got, we've got people all over. Yeah. Well, that's the way to do it now. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, listen, stay safe and, uh, thanks for doing it. And thank you. Thank goodness that these small businesses are back up and running. This really makes me feel good that they're at 85% now or more, uh, and that we're going to save these businesses. So if you are yeah. listening, you know, uh, and you do book an appointment, do me a favor. If you have the means, just give that big, huge tip if you can, mm-hmm. right? And if, you got, if you're listening to this podcast, there's no reason you can't give a 50% or 100% tip on your, at your barbershop. And that's, this is the year to do it. Just give that 100% tip. Yeah, so they're absolutely. charging you 40, you just give them 80. That's it. They need the money right now. Help, yeah. help bridge that extra 15% and maybe they're in arrears on the, some of their bills. So it, it helps. Uh, give mm-hmm. a huge tip if you can, people. All right, mm-hmm. we'll see you all next time on this week's Artists. Bye-bye.